Well, grab your Bible. That's the thing we do here at Harvest. Grab your Bible. Turn it to John chapter 15. John 15. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some folks coming around who would love to have you have a Bible in your lap. Um, if you don't own one, you've got one now. Um, John 15. The setting. Uh, every week here, I'm going to be reminding us of the setting. Uh, it's an important setting. It's, it's foundational to what happens here. It's, it's before the Feast of Passover. The disciples and, and uh, Jesus are gathered together. Uh, it's literally, we'll say, hours, days within the death. And uh, the whole hour, then the resurrection and uh, the ascension of Christ. And it's in the final days. Uh, they're gathered around the table together. Uh, Jesus is there. The 12 disciples are there. Then uh, uh, as they're around, Jesus gets up, chapter 13. He gets up, goes over, changes his clothes into, to look like uh, the lowest of lowest servants. And then he comes and he washes their feet. He does the task of the lowest of the lowest servants. And then after doing that, he says to them, guys, now that I have your attention, <laughs> love one another like that. Like that. May I remind us? Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Uh, Jesus is the one who created all things. All things were created by him, through him, and for him. And he is the one down washing the feet of the ones he's created. And then he says, we're to be like that. Humility, submission to one another, loving one another. It's just a radical, radical love. Then at dinner, uh, Judas takes the morsel and heads out to betray Christ. Uh, literally, not just to betray him, like that was a nice thing that you said, but to betray him to death. And then the 11 are left there confused. They don't know what's going on. Um, understandable, I don't think I would have either if I'd been one of them. And yet Jesus knows, and that's an important point. And everything that we're talking about through chapter 17 in this one evening time, this conversation, Jesus knows exactly what's happening here with Judas and what's been going on. He knows what he's going to do. He knows what's led to all that, and he knows what's going to come out of that for him. And uh, after Judas leaves, he turns to his guys, and then he kind of ups it. Guys, I'm commanding you. You must love one another. Harvest, I have to tell you, over these last weeks, it just continues to burn in me. Am I that? Are you that? Are we that? Are we? Or is that just a nice, fluffy, kind, warm-hearted passage that we water way down? It was a command. Well, then Jesus in chapter 14 then says to his guys, uh, guys, let your, hearts, let your hearts not be troubled. It's a troubling night for the 11. I'd maybe say right at this moment, it's a confusing night for the 11. But here in a little bit, it's going to be quite troubling for them. And yet Jesus, the one who's going to be going to the cross, how cool is this? He, as we talked about last week, he loves on them enough by giving them grab points. Things to be able to understand that 
hey guys, troubling times are about to come, but let me give you some truths to hold on to, to grab onto. And we talked about that out of chapter 14. Here's some of them. Hey guys, know that I know. I know. I know what's happening. You don't, but I do. Rest in that reality. Cling on to me. Secure yourself in that. Hey guys, know that there's a heaven. Uh, Chapter 14, it's real. It's awesome. And it's exclusive. And I am the way. And by the way, guys, I go there and prepare a place for you. I still love the fact that Jesus incarnate, second person of the Trinity, comes in as a carpenter here on earth and talks about how he's going to prepare a place for us. The guy knows how to build, okay? And he's building a place. How cool is that? How reassuring is that for them? Live for the eternal. And then he says, guys, know that you know the Father, and uh, know that you have access to us uh, in prayer. We're going to talk more about that today. And know that you will not be orphaned by me. The Spirit of God is going to be coming the third person of the Trinity. I'm going up. He's coming down. And he's going to dwell in you. He's going to secure you. He's going to give you knowledge and understanding of everything that's going on. And actually, we're going to be dealing more and talking more about the Holy Spirit in this next coming week because of the text that it addresses that. And then Jesus says again, guys, let not your hearts be troubled. And then he finishes in chapter 14 with a statement. He says, I do as the Father has commanded me. And he says, I love the Father. I'll tell you, the Trinity just blows my mind. Here in it, Christ is referring back to the reality that he loves the Father. He loves the first person of the Trinity, the triune God, and yet he loves the first person of the Trinity. And in essence, he loves the first person of the Trinity, and out of that love for him is why he's doing what he's doing and about to do. And in all of this, what a perfect example for us. We are to love our Savior, and out of our love for our Savior, we serve him. It's not a duty, it's not a hassle. It's not a crud. I don't get to go sin and stuff. It's a, are you kidding me? I get to serve my Savior because I love Him. Oh, as, the, as He loves the Father, we're to love Him. And then He says, let's go for a walk. And actually, I don't even think they get out the door before chapters 15, 16, and 17 start taking place. and So what happens? Chapter 13, Jesus gives them a command. Chapter 14, Jesus equips them for that command. And now chapter 15, uh, I wonder where he's going to go. How about this? Maybe it's this. Hey, I I called you guys uh, to something. I've equipped you guys with something. So so now I want to talk to you about how, you know, just sit back, write it out. Don't worry about it. No big deal. Kind of do what you want when you want. Uh, 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 pick and choose what you want, whenever it's convenient for you. It would just be nice if I would be remembered every so often. That would be cool. And I got a gut feeling that's not where he's going with this. I don't know about you, but uh, he's not. He's given a command. He's told how we're equipped. And now he's going to tell about what he expects. Have you ever wondered what God expects of you? I have. What does God expect of us? Well, here we go. Chapter 15. I could sum it up in a sentence today this way. We have the privilege of abiding and the responsibility of producing. We have the privilege of abiding 
And we have the responsibility of producing. Let's read the text. I'm going to do it a little bit differently. Usually, uh, week to week, I just kind of walk verse by verse. I'm going to read the passage, and then we're going to talk about the passage. Chapter 15. I, Jesus says, am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser, the gardener. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. And he prunes it that it may bear what? More fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears, what? Much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so, prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. We already referred to that. These things I have spoken to you that, they, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Full. This is my commandment that you love one another. We can't get away from it, can we? <laughs> this is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And here we go again. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Lord God, I pray as we just dig into this incredible passage, this parable, this illustration that you use of truth. Would you help us to get it? Lord, the reality is this is a very hard-hitting truth. I pray we would hear from your word. And we would be humble enough in this to examine ourselves and consider where we're at with you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
So Jesus tells a parable. He says, let's get up, very end of chapter 14, but I think before they get out the door, uh, he starts talking. And in fact, uh, what takes place in chapter 15, 16, and 17 could really occur in about a 10-minute time frame, a discussion. Um, have you done that, parents? You know, hey, kids, time to go. And you get up, and they're like, yeah, right. When I see the door handle turn and the door actually open, we're ready to go. And between the table and the door is like about a half an hour. We all know that, true? And kids are like, preach it, pastor. <laughs> okay, true. That was the case in our family. It was like, yeah, okay, that means we'll stand by the door and we'll wait. Um, but that's kind of what happens here. Uh, in the conversation, remember, they've just had dinner. Judas has left. They're confused. Jesus has given them a command. He's equipped them for it with some fantastic truths. And now they're starting to head out. And before I think they hit the door, all of a sudden Jesus starts talking and he gives a parable, an illustration. Uh, just pause one second here. You have to be careful with the theology foundation issues that you drive out of parables. There's actually a lot of bad theology and a lot of bad theology practice today because people take kind of the perimeter issues of a parable and turn it into something that actually the parable really wasn't intended to talk about. So whenever you come to a parable, be careful. Stay on the main track. We'll address one of those here as we go along as an example you'll see. But we're in a parable. Jesus is telling a story. Here we have three characters. There's a vine dresser, the vine and the branches. In fact, let's kind of picture that here up on the screen for us. That's going to be the image we're using. There's a vine dresser that's representing the hands. We see this, uh, the roots and the vine of this uh, tree. And then we see branches in, on the tree with these leaves uh, on it. Uh, the disciples knew agricultural reality. Uh, they knew what a vine was. They knew what a gardener was. They knew what fruit was. They knew what a branch was. Uh, the point I say that is that uh, Jesus intended for them to understand this and to be able to understand it really well. It's something they could relate to and get it. So in essence, I want to say this. Even though sometimes this passage is talking about it's so deep and almost complex, it's really not. It's so simple. It's a picture of a plant and a gardener. So let's stay on the main track and get the main truth that comes out of this thing. Let's first talk about these three characters that are referred to the parable. The first is the vine dresser. Who is the vine dresser? Okay, God, let's be more specific. God the Father. Jesus says, my Father. Trinity, first person, God the Father. Second person, Jesus Christ. Third person, Spirit of God. This is referring to God the Father. Let's learn a couple things here about God the Father. Verse 2a, look at this. The Father cuts off branches that do not produce fruit. Yowzer. The Father does. The Father cuts off branches that do not produce fruit. In other words, wood that is superfluous, uh, wood that is uh, useless, wood that is dead. I like actually the way the New International Version says it. It's, it's correct that he cuts it off. He trims it and he cuts it off. That's one of the things it does. We'll talk more about that. Verse 2, the latter part, it also says that uh, the vine dresser, every branch that does produce fruit, he does what? He prunes it. He prunes it. Why does he prune it? He prunes it so that the branches will be able to, those abiding branches will be able to produce more fruit. And why does God the Father want more fruit? Look at verse 8. Because fruit produced from the branches 
Glorify the Father. God the Father loves fruit. Okay? He loves that. The more, the better. In fact, let me kind of make a billboard truth statement here. Branches that bear fruit glorify the Father. The Father loves fruit-producing branches. Got the billboard? Okay, now read it for me. Here we go. Branches. He loves it. He loves it. We, we have, I'll refer to a little later, we have a problem nowadays with understanding producing, especially in Christianity. It's either like, hey, go light on the producing, it's okay. Or it's like, you can't produce, that's arrogant. Okay, we'll get there. But God the Father, the text tells us, loves fruit. And the more, the better. Okay? What else can we learn about the Father? Well, verse 9, the Father loves the Son. Uh, the Son loves the Father. Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Son, loves the Father. I have to tell you, it's so cool. The Trinity is one loving unit. Very cool. The Trinity was not bored and created us so it could now have fun. The Trinity was fine and well all by itself in eternity past. But in order to glorify the Trinity even more, God in His sovereign choice decided to create us so that for eternity we can all give Him praise. It's going to be awesome. Verse 9, the Father loves the Son. Verse 15, the Father communicates with the Son. Verse 16, we also learn that the Father gives fruit-producing branches whatever they ask of Him in Jesus' name. I want to pause here. I want to take a little bit of a on-topic, but a sidestep. Just personally, over these last few weeks, one of the things that's been sticking out big for me is this reality of multiple times now, if you've been here, uh, the text is talk about praying in Jesus' name. And Christians, I think uh, we view that way too often as like the little cute tag on at the end. Kind of like everything we just prayed, if we say in Jesus' name, then it's all good. And the text says that God's going to give it all to us. I want a Tonka truck and I, in Jesus' name. You know what I'm talking about? I would like for us to reconsider this as I'm reconsidering it. I think I'm coming to understand more and more that this whole idea of in Jesus' name is not meant to be the end little tag on statement, but it's the entirety of the whole thing, everything we're praying. We are praying in the nature and in the will of the Son. In Jesus' name with this and in that and in that and in that and in that and in that. All throughout. That's why I've talked about prayer is like coming to the Godhead table. Not God coming to my table, but me stepping to the Godhead table. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And the Word of God is right there. How do I know what the nature and the will of the Son is? Well, we know from here. And so as I'm considering things, I'm praying for. Like, let's throw something out. Uh, 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 does God, does the Savior love people who come to Christ, who are redeemed in Christ, saved in Christ. Does that fit his nature and his will? It does. The Bible tells us that the Godhead wants all that would come to him. Clearly, that's the case. Do we understand in Scripture that when Scripture talks about followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, maturing and growing and strengthening in, in him and, and becoming more effective for him. Is that something that fits the nature and the purposes and the will of the Son? Yeah. Let me ask you another question. 
I'm not trying to get to this point, but just something a little bit different. We're in the process of looking to build a facility. Is that part of the nature and the will and the desire of the Son? But we're even at the end of this year looking to where having a, trying a year-end gift lump of trying to raise some $350,000 for us to be able to move on to the next stage so that in 2013 we could actually begin moving towards building. And i got to tell you, friends, I look at $350,000 and that's a lot, isn't it? I have no idea where that's going to come from. But I'm going to tell you, I, I do think that it's the kind of thing where things like that can be taken selfishly and proudly and arrogantly. That's the thing for us. But instead, I really do think it's the kind of thing, Lord God, I think that it can be. You get building, you ask your people to build a tabernacle. You also ask your people to build a temple. And in our world today, being able to have a permanent footprint to be able to expand ministry in increasing ways, i got to tell you, I really think that's something that is, uh, can be taken in the wrong way, but can ultimately be for God's glory, don't you think? And I think even praying for God, I don't know how and I don't know where from. I don't know. But the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills, could he maybe do it? I do think so. Uh, Jerry Kittle, we just found out uh, a couple weeks ago, Jerry Kittle's got leukemia. Where did that come from? Jerry starts chemo here this week. How do we pray the will and the nature of Christ in that situation? Let's pray. Serious. Lord God, you have just really worked in me in this issue. I kind of want to make it a public issue for all of us to grow. I'm learning prayer. Father, as you talk about praying in the, in the name of Christ, Lord, I do. I think about people who in the west side of Indianapolis who don't know you, people very possibly in this room who don't know you as their Savior. Well, Lord God, it is your will and your nature that, that, that more people would come to know and choose you and drive the stake in the ground to become followers of Christ. Oh, Lord God, I pray for 2012. I pray in your nature, in your will, that you would use us. That may mean us stepping up to the plate in a greater way, in a more passionate way, in a more vocal way, in a more prayerful way. God, would you bring the fruit of people coming to Christ this year like we've maybe never seen before? Oh, God, we pray that in your name. And Lord, I would pray that as disciples of Christ here, we are a church that is keyed in on raising disciples, raising disciples that will make disciples that will make disciples. Oh, God, help us to be more effective in doing that. Would the Spirit of God work amongst this room, work amongst the people here? Lord God, that we would have an increasing passion for your word that we would get after you in increasing ways, changing things in our lives that need to be changed. Oh God, do a work among us. And Lord, I, I pray for dollars. At times I feel so silly doing that. But you're not bothered by talking about money. You own it all. Lord, we really believe that this step even of moving into a facility is the kind of a step that would glorify you, that would bear fruit out of it. And it's not about patting ourselves on the back. This is a building for us. This is a place for you and your church to expand. Oh 
God, I don't know where the money's coming from. But I pray that you would do a work. It may be among us. It may be from outside of us. Oh, God, do a work that you would show yourself big in that. Lord, I pray for the Kittle family. That came out of nowhere. Yet this morning, Jerry's in the hospital waiting for Monday or Tuesday to start chemo. And and yet that's the family that knows you. Lord, we're very hopeful. And we know that it's in the nature and even can be in the will of you that you could heal Jerry and just blow us all away and that'd be a testimony beyond what we can even comprehend. And Lord, if that is your will, put your name all over that. And yet, Lord, I know from the scriptures, it also tells that there are times where you're going to allow things to take place. You may be using this in Jerry's life, in their family's life, in this church's life to do ministry in and through that whole situation that we don't even know about. Maybe your, your, your will is that he's not healed right at this moment. God, I pray you would sustain him and mature us. In your name, we pray. Amen. The vine dresser. Second, the vine. Who's the vine? Jesus. Sounds like Sunday school class, doesn't it? Who did that? Jesus! (laughs) That's true. Hey, but it is. It's the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is the vine. He's the vine, not a vine. He's the vine. Uh, Not one of many. He's the only one. He's the only true vine. He has to make sure and state it that there's a true vine because there are false vines. But he's the true one. Uh, That means there are non-true ones out there. Jesus isn't fake. He's the real deal. He's the one. We also see in the text, verse 2, he owns the branches. By the way, look, it's every branch of mine, and that includes non-producing fruit who, uh, uh, branches who, down at verse 8, end up getting thrown into judgment, as well as, wait a second, what's this talking about? Uh, is this talking about carnal Christianity? Is this talking about you can lose your salvation? We'll get there here in just a minute. He owns the branches. He owns them all. Verse 4, he abides in those branches that abide in him. Uh, no, van, uh, no vine branch has life in itself. Uh, think about it. Just the picture. No branch has life in itself. Where does the branch get its life from? Uh, the vine, the trunk. Branches can't brag about themselves. Like, look at me. <gasps> I'm a branch. No, listen. Cut from the vine, you're dead. And it's the truth. You look at a branch in your yard that falls on the ground, and it's like laying there dead, and you're like, that's so sad. Isn't that sad? Or angry. <laughs> it's just like, what's the deal? Where did that come from? True? Branches have no life in themselves. It comes from the vine. He owns them. He is the vine. He abides in those. Uh, the branch that's alive is in the vine. And the life of the vine is in the branch. It's all about him. Verse 9, he loves those branches that abide and produce in him, we see in verse 9. Verse 11, he has spoken to those branches that produce and uh, abide, it says. 
verse 11, he gives joy to those branches that abide and produce. That's cool. Love that, isn't it? Hey, you want joy? No, I mean joy, supernatural joy. Uh, This is where it comes from. Uh, Verse 13 through 15, it says uh, he's the friend of those branches that abide and produce. We'll talk about that in just a second. Verse 16, it says he chooses and appoints those branches. Now, there's commentary talk. There's different thought on, is that just a a statement that's only directed to the uh, 11 remaining disciples, that he chose them and appointed them, or is that for all of us? And I'm not going to get into the debate of it, but I'll just say this, whether it's directly or from principle, because we see in other passages of Scripture, in the epistles, Paul talks oftentimes about, you have been chosen. And we also see in the Scriptures, Matthew 20, 19, and 20, therefore go and make disciples. You have been appointed. So whether directly or by principle, the fact of the matter is he chooses and appoints. Now we get to the third one. Third one, the branches. And the branches, look in verse 2, they're all mine. Not mine, but Jesus is mine. Who are these non-fruit producing branches? Who are they? Uh, some would call them what term of carnal Christians. In other words, Christians who are saved, but are not walking with the Lord at the time. I'm just going to say this and kind of cut to the chase. I don't think that's what's going on at all here. I don't think this is talking about carnal Christians, and I also do not think this is talking about you can lose your salvation. It just doesn't fit with the rest of Scripture. But Doug, uh, the text says that they're his branches. What does that mean? It sounds like they're saved. No, consider this, Colossians 1.16. All things have been created by him, through him, and for him. That includes all people. All people. And this is where this is one of those uh, parables, those illustrations, where Jesus is flowing with the illustration and, and he's using the dead branch reality to, to refer back to there are those who he's created, he knows them, they are his, if you will, by his creation, but they're not redeemed in him. Okay? These are not redeemed. I'll also validate that with verse 6. It talks about those branches uh, there that are going to be taken down, cut, and thrown into the fire. That's judgment. So with those branches there, that would have to mean that they're saved and you can lose your salvation. But again, that doesn't fit with the rest of Scripture. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may hope that you have eternal that you may know that you have eternal life. That's why what makes this passage so important is, well, so what does it mean to abide? Okay? Also, I'll just add to this the parable of Mark chapter 4 with the four soils. Uh, seeds are cast. The, the word of God is cast down. The first soil, uh, just whatever. It doesn't care. Just forget it. Uh, the second and third soil it talks about in there is uh, the soil of the rocky ground and the thorny ground. And in it, it, the text talks about how in a parable, again, a parable where Jesus says that they sprout and they, they receive the word with joy. I might call that they've had a conversion experience. But then the text goes on to say they look to the world and they look to uh, uh, the things of the world or life gets hard and they're like, bag it. I thought Jesus was going to make my life easy. I do not think Jesus is talking about carnal Christianity. He's talking about people who did a Matthew 7. Many will call me Lord, Lord, 
but he will respond, I never knew you. But wait a second, Jesus, in the parable, it says, but we did think, acts in your name. We did stuff in your name. He's like, I, you may have, but I'm just telling you, you are never abiding in the vine. I'm going to tell you, friends, these passages call us to the table. Where am I at with the Lord? The branch abides in Christ is one that is redeemed in Christ. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Have, do you know Christ? Have you received him as Savior? Not as some religious ditty deal, but as a whole life change. Verse 4, abides in Christ. That's what the branches do. Let's talk about the branches that abide in Christ. They're in union with the vine. They're connected to the vine. It's really quite simple to understand this, even though uh, oftentimes there's a whole lot of discussion about it. Just look at the picture. Again, it's having life in the vine like a branch. It's connected. It's in. The branch has no life in itself. It only has life as a result of the union with the vine. It's an organic reality in life. It's an internal life reality. And then that life is to be pulsating out of the vine. And, and abiding is the whole key, a whole key to this passage. In fact, look at the text. Let's go to the next slide here. Look at the text. You can see in the text throughout, I've highlighted all the abiding statements. Look at that. Abide, 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 abide. Right? Uh, we could agree this is a key point. So here's the question. Are you abiding in Christ? Do you know Christ as your Savior? Do you? Verse 2, let's go to the next thing. We'll come back to these. Verse 2, we also see about the branch. They're pruned by the Father. Fruit-producing branches get pruned. Ouch. I haven't heard a branch say that. But I would just kind of, if you were a branch, wouldn't you think that would hurt? Hey, but it's a loving thing. Why is it that the Father prunes? Because He loves you. And because He knows that by pruning you, fruit-bearing people of Christ, you will be able to produce more for His glory. And remember, God loves fruit. Okay? But He prunes. He prunes the branches that are abiding in him. Verse 7, uh, it tells us also that about the branches that abide. They live by the words of Christ. We see also in verse 7, they pray with the full access to the Father that gives us. I've talked about and we did. And I can't wait. To, I don't know what God's going to do. That's his choice. But I'm telling you, folks, let's be praying. Verse 9, they live in the love of Christ. That's cool. Look at verse 11, the branches, they experience the supernatural joy of Christ. Verse 12, they live the love one another command. They live it out. They're not the kind of people who it's like, uh, who have come to a place where this is my church, this is my faith family, and, and keep coming back going, so what are you going to do for me? So what are you going to do for me? So what are you going to do for me? I hope that's not you. What it's supposed to be is this is where I think God has put me at and so I get to be there and it's assumed that we're going to grow together as we proclaim the word and worship the Lord together. That's just going to happen through the Spirit of God. But yet in and of it all, how can I serve you? Is that your mindset? Or is this just a place where you come and get? May we not be that. Verse 13 through 15, also, they are friends of Christ. That's cool. You see, servants, slaves, and Jesus had just given the image of that earlier. 
uh, slaves are just told what to do. They don't have to be told why. But in the text, as you read that through in verses 13 through 15, it talks about friends are let behind the curtain. They're let behind the curtain so that they come to, are informed by the thinking and the purposes and they enjoy the confidence of, uh, of the one who's giving the directive. It's a sense of privilege and understanding. It's not just, hey, do what I tell you to do by the son. It's the, can you believe this? We get to get understanding of why he's asking us to do what, he's, what we're supposed to do. That's what a friend is. The one who created it all says here, I'm his friend. But Jesus isn't my boyfriend, friend. Jesus is our friend and Lord. Okay? Finally, here's the big one out of the text. We just see this again and again. It talks about how disciples of Christ bear fruit. In fact, let's look at the text. While the abide is key to the text... Fruit is the end result. Look at it. You can see it in the green there on the screen. Fruit, 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 fruit. Much fruit, more fruit, fruit, fruit. Want fruit, fruit, fruit. Question, why abide? Out of the text. To produce fruit. That's why. That's why. It's normal for a branch to produce fruit. Whether it's a leaf of an oak tree or whether it's a pear tree and pears. It's normal design of it. And that fruit is visible. And verse 8 again, fruit glorifies the Father. And please look at the end of verse 8. Because producing fruit validates my salvation. How does a person know if they're saved? I just got a question. Where's the fruit? I'm not going to water this one down, by the way. The reality is in this. It's so clear. I mean, Jesus has just walked Judas, make a beeline out. And here in it, it's so clear. If there's no life fruit, there's no real union in Christ. Well, back 10 years ago, I had a spiritual experience. Question, where's the fruit since then? If there's been none, I want to love you enough so that Matthew chapter 7 doesn't happen to you. Lord, Lord, but I never knew you. Where's the fruit? Where's the change? Isn't this hard? Isn't this convicting? Doesn't this hurt? Doug, can you please water it down? No, I will not. Because look at the text. Christianity and fruitlessness have nothing to do with each other. Fruitfulness is an infallible mark of a genuine disciple. And I started with the question, what does it look like or what does Christ expect of his disciples? I see this, just picture the text. Let's bring the next slide in. Picture the text. Two things, yellow and green. Abide and produce fruit. But we abide to produce fruit. I've heard so many over my life talk on this text and get stuck on the abide part. 
abide, abide. And are we? Are we to abide? Absolutely. But not go to the next point of the text. Bear fruit. And so we end up getting stuck in this little Christian world where abide means me and Jesus in this all internal thing where I claim the title of Christian and it's just me in quietness and solitude, a branch unto itself. That's not the parable. That's not the parable of Mark chapter 4 either. But abide is a branch that's connected into the pulsating life of Jesus Christ the vine, such that fruit for God is produced out of me. I can't brag about any fruit that comes out of me. It doesn't come out of me. I'm just the channel of it connected into the vine. It's all the vine's glory. Fruit produced, stuff other than looks completely different than the branch that shows itself, that's visible, that changes. Hey, listen, when a person changes in their heart, in their attitude, in their mind, it changes how they talk, it changes how they live, it changes how they work, it changes everything. And all of that is seen. Have you seen someone really change radically? Isn't that awesome? And you go over and you go, praise God for that. And you go, my goodness, there's no way a person could do that on your own. That validates they are showing fruit in their life. They are walking with Christ. This is hard truth, guys. But look in the text. It talks about much fruit, more fruit. we wrap it up in christianity today there is a fear about producing fruit it either goes like this well if you ask too much of people so let's water it down and say you know what god's fine with just a little bit of fruit hey if you showed some fruit change in your life a year ago that's great hey if you haven't seen anyone in your life come to christ in your life, hey, that's great. I'm not trying to put numbers on things, but I am telling you, I think what the text is saying. And in our culture today, we just water down. It's okay, it's okay. Don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And then I come to a text like this, and friends, I can't stand here and communicate it in a watered-down reality. The point of the text is produce fruit. I just I don't need to share my faith. I just need to live before people and it'll speak. True, but that's not a driving passion for fruit to be produced. Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples. Uh, that's the call, uh, but that's not me. That's other people. I'm an impatient person. I can't change. That's just who I am. Where's the fruit? Here's one. I like small church. Because then I can just be with my close palsy-walsies. Hey, I am not anti-small church. I am saying God intends His church to produce fruit. In fact, here's a statement. God loves lots. Are you okay with that? I'm just going to tell you, I can feel it. You're uncomfortable with that in our culture with all the talk that's going on today because either if you're a fruit producer, it's like, well, everybody else is going to feel bad or if you're a fruit producer, we fear the fact of producing more fruit. 
And I say this, let's go back to the text. And let's go back to what glorifies the Lord. And is it done incorrectly and with pride at times? Absolutely. But listen, that doesn't change the call. We're to be fruit producers. And I just want to openly and on the stage tell you here unashamedly, I am about lots. I am about more. I would love to see this church grow. God's going to take care of the numbers. Well, Doug, that's awful arrogant. Hey, listen, if it gets there, you have full right to come and rebuke me. But why? Because God wants more. Don't we want more people saved? Don't we want more people discipled? Then let's go at it. Let's keep going at it. Let's take it as a passion. More people saved and discipled in Christ. More disciples raised so that they are raising disciples. More dating and marriages that are truly living out the picture of Christ and the church in Ephesians chapter 5. I want more of that. I want to see churches planted out of us. I want more of that. Maybe we could even train pastors who would go to places, missionaries who would go to places beyond our walls. I'm all about that. I'd love to see us impact nations for him. I'm all about that. I'm all about more people worshiping him with increased passion for him. I want more. Isn't that a weird thing to say nowadays? But it's biblical not for our glory. Branches, we cannot take any credit for the fruit produced through us. It's all to the glory of the Father. May we be that, right? May we be that. Hey, we're going to take communion right now. So if I could ask the communion servers to come down. What a perfect time to take communion. I've been praying out of this that there would be, uh, we would be convicted by this passage. Maybe for it, it's the type of thing for you where you're like, oh my goodness, this is actually making me wonder, am I abiding in the vine? Do I have a relationship with Christ for real? Where's the fruit in my life? That's a right question to be asking. It's okay to ask that. It's okay to get uncomfortable with that. That was Jesus' point here. But his point was also to call his who are abiding in him. Listen, let's not get satisfied in fruit. Let's not water it down. Let's not be okay with a couple grapes being produced for him. We want bunches more because he loves more. As you've been producing fruit. Oh, I pray it yearns within us. Oh, God, more in me, more in me. Oh, Lord God, more in me. Listen, we're remembering the, be- the death the body and the blood of Christ shed. Why? So that out of that, by abiding in him, we, dead branches, can produce fruit. That's awesome. So if you know Christ is your Savior, uh, please here, just the worship team is playing for us. Would you just grab the bread, grab the cup, bring it back to your seat and We'll partake together and let's just take some time with the Lord. In Jesus' name.